Welcome to the Real Estate Survival Guide, the show that teaches realtors how to create a thriving real estate business. Welcome to today's episode of the Real Estate Survival Guide podcast. I'm your host, John Shookman, and I am so thankful to have you with me for today's episode. A huge thank you to Jennifer Harshman and Harshman Services for sponsoring today's podcast episode. Jennifer and the team at Harshman Services do an amazing job of helping businesses grow and become more successful and organized by using blog posts, search engine optimization, and email marketing to reach your clients. I'm so thankful for how Jennifer and her team have helped me become more successful in my business. And if you're a realtor out there, I know that you can often get stressed and want to work smarter, not harder. You need something that you can set and forget about. So check out what Jennifer has built at RealtorEmails.com. She has an amazing offer and affordable tools to help you become more successful in your business. I'm so thankful for the team at Harshman Services for being a part of helping my business and for sponsoring the podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Guys, on today's episode, I'm so excited to bring back Ken Carfagno. So we had an interview and it was amazing and it went really well. Talked about business, talked about podcasts, and I'm like, oh my goodness, there were a couple more things I wanted to hear from him about. So we're like, you know what? We will make this a second episode. So two things Ken's going to talk about. I want to hear about real estate presentation cleaning, how you can use it, what it looks like. And I also want to hear from Ken, and maybe we'll start here. How the heck? Because I feel like this is a huge lesson for realtors who are often, they just miss it. I think so many realtors, and you know from interacting with them, they're discounting stuff, they're doing this, they're feeling like, oh, well, if I don't discount, no one's going to hire me. But in your industry, you are not the cheapest cleaner, right? (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) Especially in the first business we ran, it was definitely to the point toward the end there when initial phone call was something like, thanks so much for reaching out. I've got a four to six week long waiting list and here's what, here's what I do. And you know, it's going to roughly be this much, you know, to clean your house or to clean your office. And they'd be like, okay. And when you compute it out by the hour, because a huge tip for this is never charge by the hour. Dumb. That's one of the first things I teach yeah. people on the smart cleaning school. By the hour, you're trapped in a job mentality right, right there. You cannot outperform the hourly. You just can't. If you charge by the hour, it doesn't matter how, how good you are. You can only get so much per hour. But if you charge by the job, mm-hmm. then you can optimize and get more efficient. Mr. Ken, the engineer steps in and you can take a three-hour job for 150 bucks and make 50 an hour. Or you can take that same job and get 200 for it and get it done in two hours. That's $100 an hour. And so that would be the path, but there's so much more to it. I mean, should I just dive in? I would love to hear, because I've seen the journey a little bit where you're like, okay, price jump, price jump, price jump. But from the outside looking in, you almost did it that you didn't push the people over the edge at first. It was gradual. You didn't go from like $50 an hour to 500. Yeah. What do those steps look like to even do that? Okay. So- it wasn't always the case, obviously. And I've had a great collaborator and he's been talked about probably two dozen times in this podcast and super Gleasy. Him and I go way back. We met in 2014. I was with him at the foundation of Total A Freedom. Him and I, I was one of his guys, one of his you know, best friends. And him and I worked on these five phases that he wrote about in his Freelance to Freedom book. And he's got like phase one, two, three. And I had taken these phases and used them in one way. He used them in 
in his book. And I adapted mine to be called with the ISO model. And they, I believe their faces two, three, and four, or one, two, and three of his ISO, initialize, stabilize, optimize. So let me just describe what these three things are. And to say that I'm the most expensive and all that, it's true, but it wasn't that way at first. When I started out, I'm actually working with Coldwell Banker as a brand is in the first business in New York. I'm working with them. I'm on their preferred vendor list and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I just need people. I need money. We have so much debt and I will clean anywhere, anytime. I don't care what it is. I was doing windows. I was on roofs. I was doing things that are very unsafe. I was sleeping in my car. I didn't care. I needed money. I needed clients. Mm -hmm. I was initializing the business because we needed to figure out what the heck we were doing. And as an initializer, I would give discounts. I would go the cheap. I would, I would do it cheap. I didn't care. I knew I was making money, but I didn't care how much. I just wanted to get the experience and some testimonials, build my credibility. I just needed some stinking clients and some stinking money. So if you relate to that and you're like, Ken, that's where I'm at. That's yeah. called initializer phase. And then I figured a few things out. And by the way, my prices for reference was probably about $25 to $35 an hour when you look at that. And I mentioned by the job versus by the hour. So I would never charge by the hour, even from day one. It was always X amount for a house, X, et cetera. But it, it averaged out to you know 30 bucks an hour, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that was great. Like, okay, it wasn't producing a full-time income. And then there was the next phase, stabilizer phase S. And this is kind of like, I just want to get that stool to have all three legs standing so I could build something strong on top of it. And it wasn't like, I just need clients. Here's what I need. There's a, a metric that I designed this metric. It's called the peace factor. Use it if you want. It's super simple. And I can use it more easily in my type of business because I have a recurring style of, of revenue. It's a little different for a real estate agent. I know you're, you're going after one-time sales. So let me just tell you the concept and apply it how you think it could be applied in a cleaning business, you acquire a client and then you clean for them every week, every two weeks, every month. And now they're a recurring style of revenue. You're building on top of the list. And so the way I looked at Peace Factor is I wanted to know how much profit was the cleaning business producing? How much profit, recurring profit? So let's say the business was doing $5,000 a month in revenue. Okay. Well, I was doing it by myself. So let's say that was $4,000 of profit and keeping it by 80%. Again, just an example. Well, that 4,000, that was recurring profit. I may have had some one-time jobs that took that 5,000 a month to 6,000. I didn't count that. That was like gravy. So I'm like, okay, I got 4,000 recurring profit. And at that time, let's say the household budget for us was 6,000. Well, we had 4,000 recurring profit. We needed 6,000 to pay all the bills. Divide 4,000 by 6,000, that's 67%. Our peace factor was 67%. It felt tight. Whew. Stabilizer, the goal, the way I set it up is I want to get someone through the stabilizer phase past 100% into 120%. Let's do this another example. 4,000 recurring profit. Let's say that I only needed 4,500. And I was getting 4,000. That's like 90%-ish. I'm still a little tight, but I'm almost there. A one-time job would actually get it done. So it's a lot less stressful. And then if I only, let's say I only needed 4,000 to pay all the bills, I was getting 4,000. <sighs> That's the first sigh that 
oh my goodness, the bills are paid for the first time. We have no margin, yeah. nothing left over. Okay. And so that was the, the point right there. When you hit that sigh of relief, that's hundred percent peace factor, but at 110, okay, let's say I was bringing in 5,000 a month, but I needed 4,000. That's 120% peace factor. It was more than, it was like, look, I got a thousand bucks left over. Pay lower bills, thousand bucks. I feel like I could play a little bit more risk with this business. Mm-hmm. And so this is what happened. The stabilizer phase is, is, is get over hundred to hundred. I want to get 120%. And so the in initializer, I was charging 30, 35 hours an hour. Like I said, when it averaged out, I just needed clients as a stabilizer. I was gaining, I was, I was mastering my trade, mastering the cleaning, becoming better, figuring out things on how to get faster. I was bringing on clients at slightly higher prices. And so I was probably in like the 40 to $45 range. Maybe I hit 50 a couple of times, but I, but my goal wasn't to try and maximize how much I got per client. My goal was to get to 120% peace factor so that I could get to the first, like I just needed to make sure the family was okay. And I wanted to make sure, I think a lot of businesses don't do this well, are you physically connecting monetarily? Is there a, a straight line somewhere from your business profits to what you need to run your family? Are, are you actually doing that? Or is it like, oh, I made a bunch of money and hopefully the bills are paid. Like, do you <laughs> know that relationship? Yeah. It's because without it, there's no peace. When you have it and you know it, even if, you, even if you're not there, I'd rather know that I'm 70% of the way there versus maybe I really am 90, but have no clue I know where I'm at. I'd rather know so I know how much more gap I have to make up. And so as a stabilizer, that was where I was. Let's just get to 120. And that was the goal. Boom. And we hit that phase. And then here's where your question kicks in. When did my prices become the the most? Well, what happened was this. When I hit 120% peace factor, I call it the game. I move from stabilizer to optimizer. As an optimizer, here's what I'm thinking. I don't need as many clients. I don't need clients. I got clients. I'm going to get a waiting list. And I I got a full calendar. I only have so much space. I have a scarcity model I'm going to play with here. I'm available in eight weeks. I cost this much. I'm going to bring on people at a waiting list. And the waiting list I would bring on, if I was charging 150 before, I might bring them on a waiting list at 225. And I would get people to say yes. I'm like, huh, they said yes to that. They're on the waiting list. And once I had three or four on the waiting list, I would raise my prices across the board on my current clients. Three or four would say, nah, I can't do it. I'm so sorry. I love you, but I can't move. That's fine. Everyone yeah. else said yes. The ones that said no, I just slid in the waiting list in its place of all higher price clients. And I did this 90 day smart goal, kind of like the 12 week year, 90 days, boom, 90 days, boom. And I kept doing that over the course of about three years. And that's how I went in my first business from, I'll just tell you some numbers. I was five and six days a week profit of around 50, 55,000 when the process was over and I was averaging, you know, 40 bucks an hour, let's say at the end of the process, I was around, let's see, two days a week of cleaning, no employees. So from five and six days a week to two days a week and five day weekends. And I was still earning the same profit around 50 or 55,000, which was super awesome. And my hourly was more in lines of like 75, 80, $90 an hour with a couple like gusts up to 120, 150 bucks an hour. A lot of those higher hourly rates came in real estate presentation cleaning. And so here's why it worked. Once I had like the household budget taken care of and the desperation was now gone. Now I could start 
building a company and I could lower the supply, which would increase the demand. But I also had to perform. I had all this experience in working with realtors, being an amazing cleaner and really working on my trade during that stabilizer phase. So by the time I'm an optimizer, I was really one, truly one of the best cleaners out there. And I would get referred in. Here's the other key part is that when I was reaching out to people to see if I could clean for them, my supply was high and the demand was low. I couldn't get much of a price. And it kind of felt salesy, like, oh, you reached out to me. But when I became known and highly referable, and I was the go-to, when people saw me and I worked, I became this, I became the cleaning specialist. People yeah. would refer me. Realtors would say, well, there's this cleaner, this cleaner, but the best is Carfactin Cleaning. Ken's the cleaning specialist. I would train the realtors to tell them I'm the specialist and anyone else I was working with. And then when someone would call me, yeah, I was referred by such and such. They already knew that I was the best. And then I could just talk to them. Like I said, at the beginning of this monologue, it's been forever. It's, well, thank you so much for reaching out. What is it you're looking for? Okay, well, here's where I'm at. I, I really appreciate that you reached out. You know, I'm, I'm not the cheapest cleaner in town, probably on the higher end of things. And I'm booking out at this point, four to six weeks. Wow, wow. But I do have, here's, here's an opening I've got. I'll give them a couple of dates a month out. And they're like, well, how much do you think it's going to cost? Well, here's the range of price. Do you, want me, do you want to book me for that day? Yes, I want to book you. They would just book me over the phone based on a ballpark range. And by the time I went and did that job a month later, it could be a $120, $150 an hour when I average it out. And because I, that demand was so high and the supply was so low, it just became an eco, a macroeconomics equation, supply and demand. It's all it really was. There's uh, a trust curve that I kind of have in the real estate presentation I teach and, and anything with you know, helping someone through a process. In the beginning, you're at the bottom of a trust curve, meaning no one knows you and you're reaching out to people cold. But at some point, you climb the trust curve, you get more credibility, you're known more, you get referred more, and you might talk to someone for the first time and maybe it's cold. Well, you're going to have to really sell when it's cold. But when, when someone finds you and, they, and they're looking for you, it's a warm lead. Or if you've been highly recommended and they call you, it's a hot lead. Yep. When you're getting hot leads, you're at the top of the trust curve. You become the best, the specialist, high demand. And the trust curve would show you this. As you're getting leads that are cold and warm, you're coming, coming up the trust curve and you're selling a lot more. But once you get to the top of the trust curve and you're getting leads that are warm to hot or like, you know, like the game, cold, hot, now you're hot. When you get to the top and you're hot, now you're at the top of the trust curve. Everyone trusts you. You already established yourself in the area. Now you're not selling. You're just serving. Yeah. And I love it. I mean, I'm, I've got notes out the wazoo here, but even you literally went from $40 an hour to $200 an hour, but, but it comes back to that thing. And, and this is why I think it's so great for realtors to hear because many of them are like, oh, I got a discount. I got to do this. I got to cut commission. I got to do this. Well, no, you just have to be the best, right? Like when I sat down with that luxury listing, I didn't sit there and, and discount myself. I didn't. I said, hey, I work for the biggest company. So people are going to know that name in your yard, right? And here are the things I do. I love whether it's having, you know, like the real estate presentation cleaning, whether I have a cleaner that's going to do such an amazing job that gets your house ready, 
the photography. There's people that still, even in a luxury listing like that, go in with a cell phone. Well, I spent 1200 bucks on pictures. Why? Well, because I'm not a discount broker. I'm not a discount option, but I will sell your home for the most money. And I think that's why there's such a lesson here because it, you know, in this it's, you know, cleaning homes and now commercial. So it's not like, oh, we're trying to sell a home, but, but you've seen it with the real estate presentation cleaning. If you clean a home in a great way, yes, it will sell the home for more money. So oh yeah, it, it will. And I think the lesson here I want realtors to hear from your story is one, you did such a great job that now you're not the cheapest. You're probably one of the most expensive but you've become the best. And there's such a lesson there. Like stop trying to discount yourself and discount what you're doing. Instead, focus on how do I become the best at cleaning? You probably were the best cleaner cheaper, but then realized, wait, I'm doing such a great job. I can raise the price. I can raise the price. And now, man, how you've transitioned even the last couple of years to go from five days to now two, it gives you that freedom that you talk about to have more time with your family. Yeah, absolutely. And the context of everything I just shared, the context, I think this also relates to realtors. I was a solo operator, a solo cleaner. And so I didn't have a team. So therefore, I didn't want to have more than 20, 25 customers because I have to clean them all myself. And I don't want to not see my kids. I have five kids. I don't want to not be with them. So I was looking at, well, if I'm going to stay as a solo operator, What's my ideal schedule? And I did this fun game called Calendar Tetris <laughs> along, <laughs> along with all this like supply demand, all that stuff I told you, ISO model. Well, Calendar Tetris was like an optimizer tool and like the 80-20 rule and Parkinson's, how to kill Parkinson. All these different things were part of the toolbox I, I would have in my, my optimizers toolbox. And what I was um, wanting to do was find a way to optimize time and money together. Because I didn't want to have so many houses that I didn't see my kids, like I said before. And so what's my ideal calendar Tetris look like? Well, let me shift things around and fit the boxes all together. And and I I decided I would love to be able to work four days a week. I remember that and I'll, I'll just real, real quick on this. I remember I got these two mugs from Joel Osteen's like ministry. And one said like, thank God it's Monday or whatever. Another one said Friday on it. I worked five days a week. I wasn't with my kids. We're homeschooling. And I'm like, what if I could have a Friday at home? I was talking to my wife. We're walking on the path to the park. I'm like, what if I could have Friday? And we figured out how to optimize and get more efficient. And I remember that first time that I had coffee in the Friday mug, I was home in my pajamas in the winter in Albany, New York. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm home <laughs> and I'm not working Friday. And I was like, I want to have another Friday mug. And then it was every Friday. And then I got a Monday, I was home and I was like, wow, I got them Friday and Monday. I have four day weekends. And that just got addictive. And so I wanted to have more and more. And so I could have optimized and say, you know, what? I'm going to work four days a week. I'm willing to work four days a week. I could optimize myself to hundred thousand dollar income. No problem. But I personally decided I'd like to work like nothing. <laughs> two days is good. Two days. What, what's the minimum I can work to hit the bills keep paying off debt, but be home as much as possible, work on some of the things. So that was that first thing. So if you're a solo operating real estate agent, like I was a solo cleaner, mm -hmm. this will speak to you. But then there's another component. Like you're going to maybe at some time want to grow and have a team. You could say yes to a hundred listings versus 10. 
well, how do you do that? Well, you can't do it through yourself. You have to build a team and there's leadership that you need to become a leader. You need to really have a growth mindset. And these are, these are the changes that we've been going through in the past two years. And that's where we're at now. We're growing a team. We have right now seven part-time employees and and for the first time, we crossed over the 100000 revenue. We're going to move towards quarter million dollars revenue by the end of the year. So we're like growing an actual cleaning business and building a team and probably getting a manager in place. And, you know, that's just part of the process. And so I don't know where you're where you might be. Are you in that solo stage? You could totally build a real estate business that's crushing. You could be the best one and you specialize in, you pick a niche in real estate and you could specialize in it, whatever that is. And you could be the real estate person in your area for this. And you get the highest commissions. You make yep. insane money and you do it a couple of days a week. Or you could build a team and, and have your own 10 realtors underneath. You get a commission off of each and all that. But you got to choose the model you want. And that's the cool part where if you can optimize, like you say, then you get a choice, right? I think you and me are both, I think it's one of the reasons we get along because we're people of faith who love Jesus. But I think we are so committed to like, I mean, yeah, money's great, but not if I don't see my wife and my kids, right? And so our focus is just different. I know other realtors that maybe they're single. And, and so for them, hey, if you want to hustle and make 300, 400, 500,000, go for it. Not for me, I'm not interested. But I do think the other thing is for anyone listening to this, hey, it's a name your own adventure tool, right? You can turn to whatever page you want. Yeah. You can create the success you want and you can charge more, right? I, I don't discount and I still have plenty of success, but that's because they see the value, right? With what you did with the cleaning, they see the value. And I'd love for you to, before we close out, talk about this. I love what you shared in your community and you put it in a podcast episode about you know, you had people in your community talking about real estate presentation cleaning. How do I present this to realtors? How do I network? So tell us more about that because I know that it'll relate yep. to what we do as realtors and maybe realtors be like, hey, I need good cleaners. Yeah, this, okay, let me let me tell two stories. One story is going to put a little like, I don't know, close on the first segment and a second story is going to open up the second. The first story is I realized early on that the most important asset in my life was time more so than money. I like just time. It's, it goes so quick. My oldest is 17 and a half. I cannot believe it. I remember holding him as a baby. It was yesterday. It just goes by. And every parent will tell you that. Oh yeah, I know you have a two-year-old diapers. Oh yeah. I know it's going to go quick. You always say that to me. It really does. I heard this story and it really, it tore me open. I've shared this. I think you probably heard me tell it. I'll just tell it real quick. There's a dad, he's in his office, he's working like crazy, and his kid comes in. Hey, Dad, can we play? Have a catch? Don't do this to me. I'm going to cry okay. on my podcast. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Dad, can we have a catch? We, uh, uh, sorry, no, I can't do it. I got to work. Comes in. It's like the Cats in the Cradle song. Uh, next next day, hey, Dad, are you, I, here's what I did for school today. Can I show it to you? Oh, I'll, I'll check it out later, son. I just, I got to work right now. Eventually, the kid's like, well, let me see something. Hey, hey, Dad, uh, what, what is it? I'm working. Dad, like, how much money do you make it work? But uh, 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 he's like, how much like per hour you make? And dad's like, oh, okay. Well, um, let's see. I guess uh, my salary is like seventy thousand, so I make about what thirty five. Yeah, I make about thirty five, forty dollars an hour. He says, oh, okay, okay, cool. Kid runs out, phew, out the door. Dad's like, okay, goes back to work. Kid comes in a few minutes later. He has his piggy bank. He opens it up. 
and he pulls out everything he had. It's about $35, $40. He said, dad, can I buy one hour of your time? That right there tore me open when I heard that the first time. And I'm like, I never want to be that dad. And so that was the why that was the fuel behind it. So I didn't want to waste the time and be a person of arrogance and think I had it figured out. I needed people. I needed a podcast like this, the real estate survival guy. I needed people to speak into my life. I needed a total life freedom. I needed a mission. I needed guys like John Shuckman to keep me on track. It's not worth it. I'm not willing to be that dad. Second story. I was doing a real estate presentation at an office. It was a Keller Williams Conshohocken PA. And I was referred by a top back of the page, like in those, those little books that you get at the grocery store way back when, and you go to the back of them and it's like pinnacle gold, super califragic, all these like things about the realtor. And they're the best ones. They make the, <laughs> they, they make the back of the page. Well, I had one of these guys that I, that I had become his go-to how, Oh, there's a process to this, but then he referred me to another huge go-to guy in Conshohocken, in Pennsylvania. And this guy brought me in and I've been doing real estate presentation cleaning for years. So here's the story. Bunch of realtors, uh, cleaners coming in and talk to us. We got our lunch break. There's a staff meeting on a Friday. And like, oh, let's see what this guy's going to say. I told the story. Every single one of them was not eating. And they were just listening to the story. And they're like, whoa. So that's all we got for today, guys. Let's take. (laughs) 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 Okay, here's how the story went. You're like. Should I leave that part in or should I edit it out? No, right. it's staying. Yeah, it's staying in. I right, see. So here's the story I told. It's called The Whites Get Whiter, The Brights Get Brighter. Oh, this is so powerful when I heard this. And it's, it goes like this. There's this uh, product that can make this a substantial claim like, we promise to make your whites get whiter and your brights get brighter. And we've got all this scientific proof. It is incredible. It will do I don't even know what in terms of laundry. It just was epic cleaner. And they would market it for the brights, brighter, whites, whiter. And the products were not selling as much as they thought. Hmm. Why are they not selling? We have given them the best technology on the planet for having the whitest whites and the brightest brights. So I don't know how this was legal, but some researching team was able to spy on households of people that had the product. And what they discovered was mind-blowing. They watched people. And again, I don't know how this is legal, but it's a study. It's out there. And here's what they watched. They watched the people use the stuff. They come back and they get the laundry out. And the first thing that they did, and if there's any moms out there, anyone that does laundry, imagine what's the first thing you do when you pull the laundry out. Here's what they did. They held the clothing up to their nose and they smelled it. They didn't look at it and say, well, look how white it is. Look how bright it is. They smelled it. And it didn't matter what the actual product did, but it smelled clean. And that triggered an emotional response in their brain that said, clean, clean, clean. And because of that response, whatever the, the white, bright, and all that stuff, it didn't matter. They just wanted to smell good. Febreze took this concept to the whole new level. That stuff does absolutely nothing. And they know it, but people could spray that stuff all over the place. It's clean in here. And so that was something that I shared. And people were like, that is amazing. What's the connection? 
And what I learned from realtors and from stagers over 15 years of working with them, I have worked with many agencies, Call Banker, Keller Williams, Berkshire Hathaway, Realty USA, Prudential, Century 21. I've worked with so many different agencies. And what I've uncovered from talking to them and being an analytical type is that there is an 80-20 that applies with real estate agents. Most of them are just like, grind it out. Let me just get this thing and sell the thing and whatever. But the ones that grasp that every single one of their listings has a emotional seller attached to getting rid of their house. It's my house. Everything's got to be perfect. I don't want them to think badly of my house. There's also an emotional buyer. And when the real estate agent has a team and they are the type, the 20% that realize, you know what? I need a collaborative team that has an amazing cleaner, an amazing carpet cleaner, an amazing painter, handyman, and inspection person, mold remediation, anything, all these pieces that turn over and prepare a property. There's a team of people, the realtors that work with stagers, the ones that get it, that we're going to learn how to best appeal to the emotional seller and the emotional buyer. Because people, again, 80-20 again, from my experience, you're the realtor. I've just been working with realtors for many years. From my experience is that decisions are not made logically or rationally. They're made emotionally 80-20. And so here's a couple examples of what I learned. Emotional seller. And I would explain this to these realtors. And like when I went through this, people were like, I need a cleaner like you that gets this. I need a teammate like this. So this is what I want you to hear out there. If you're out there as a a new realtor or an established one, Mm -hmm. find a cleaner and a team that gets, that thinks like this, that gets it. So here's the emotional seller. You have to help them understand that they need to turn their home into the model home. You come into a development, new houses. There's a model home that's like, everything's perfect in there. And then you got the house that you're listing and it's got pictures of mama, pictures of like kids picking their nose. You got grandparents in there. You You got like a kitchen countertop with a gazillion things on it. There's no space. Everything looks tight and small. And so a stager was teaching me a model home has open space. They would basically tell you, get all the stuff out of your rooms and take your personal effects out and create a model home experience. They would bring in boxes and beds out of it. Like they bring in box. The stuff these stagers do is like, it's amazing. They would take the emotional seller and say, hey, do you want to sell the house for top value? We need to take the emotion out of it and turn this into a product. Your house needs to become a product called the model home. And that's what the emotional seller, that's that's the first job of the real the realtor team is how do we create the model home? And on the other end is the emotional seller. It's like, the guy might be like, okay, here's this price and here's where it's at. And the wife's like- Emotional buyer, you mean? Emotional buyer, yeah, yeah, yeah. emotional buyer. And not always the wife, but again, from my experience and what I've seen- yeah. Here's what the realtors and stages are teaching me. There's a first impression. Everything's 80-20. You've got five seconds to sell this house. I'm like, yeah. okay, ex- explain this to me. And the realtor told me this. He said, Ken, here's what happens. No one goes through the mud room in the, in the garage. You're going to go. You're going to park in the driveway or on the side. You're going to walk up the driveway. What am I seeing here? You're looking at the yard. You're looking at the, the garage. You're looking at the roof. You're looking at the neighborhood. You're seeing the first impressions of the neighborhood. You're seeing kids playing, or is it all shut in? You're walking up the sidewalk, are the shrubs cut? You're getting to the front door. The real estate agent is jiggling the thing, looking for the key and hitting the buttons to try and get the thing out of the lock. Meanwhile, the emotional buyer is like looking around the yard and 
little things I would teach us the cleaners. Hey, there's light fixtures on both sides of the doors. Make sure those are sparkling clean. Yes. The doors should be clean because the people that you're showing, they're emotional. And you got to create a first impression that's amazing. And they're looking at that front door for up to a couple of seconds while you're jiggling the key. Now the realtor opens the door. And what does the emotional buyer think? They're thinking first impression. They're like, beep, beep, beep. Depending on the layout of the house, it's like you might have that typical house of today where it's like that foyer style French door office to the left and like a little, you know, maybe a, a mother-in-law suite to the right. And you got a staircase going up and you got a hallway leading to a paddle room in the kitchen. Well, they're going to want a beeline to the kitchen to see the kitchen. The wife wants to see the kitchen. I told you I know this stuff. I've been doing this for a while. It's, I'm laughing. Yep. It's I'm so- just reading your mail, realtors. And, That's right. And, and but I, I do this at a real estate presentation and they're like, okay, this, we need this. And, and so that foyer, you've got to make that look amazing. There's some glass on the side of those front doors. There's glass. There's like a, usually a, an oval window above the front door. That's got to be cleaned. You can see that staircase. That staircase got to look at anything that can be cleaned with, within that first five seconds, walking in that foyer, boom. And then the kitchen has got to be boom spotless. And, yeah. and then they're going to, they're going to like, Oh, cool. Look at this. Look at this family room. Then they're going to go beeline to the master bedroom and the master bathroom. Cause that's, where we're going to spend one third of their life. And so the emotional buyer is going to buy or not their decisions. It's going to be based on those first impressions. And I have used this. And so the strategy I use of cleaning, and I think that this could help is I, I do priority zones, priority one, high impression, high impact, high value, help you sell the house. Priority two and three, eh, not a big deal. Okay, then there's other things you can do, areas where there's not great lighting. For instance, like if you got a back couple bedrooms, a lot of trees, it's dark, you don't got to clean that much back there. You don't even have to show it that much. If you've got an area like a sunroom and it's sunny out and you're going there, you better show that thing off because that's a that's a showcase piece. That's a high impression. So these are just things I learned from realtors and staters over years. And it's like, Emotional seller, model home, emotional buyer, first impressions. And so when you incorporate this into your real estate team, you become one of the 20% that understands this and you will attract better listings. You will sell them for higher prices. I have many examples. Here's one. There is a a $700,000 listing I remember helping with in Saratoga Springs. I was part of a, a, a five company team to get this house ready for sale because they invested. They invested about $15,000, my bill was 2,500 bucks for cleaning. Plus other things, they invested in all kinds of stuff, painting and handiwork and and they prepared the house with this emotional buyer seller in mind. The house was, and this is before listings like, oh, everything lists and sells for, this is in 2010. Okay, a couple of years after the 08 crash. So this is really, really important back then. And that house, it was originally listed at 700. They put 15,000 invested. The house sold for 775. It sold for 75K over listing in a time when that was unheard of. And they invested 15,000 and they got 75,000 more, meaning there was a 5X ROI on what they invested in this collaborative team thing. The realtor got a higher commission. The cleaner, the painter, they all made more money. And so everyone mate was better off. The client, are they happy? Yeah, they sold Heck their yeah. house for a lot more. The only one that didn't make out was the one that spent saying 5000 more for the house. <laughs> the, the emotional buyer. The emotional but buyer. What I do think, I mean, and buyers want houses. So I love this because here's the thing, right? Realtors are listening to this like, well, all my listings are selling anyway, so what's the matter? 
But here's what you need to hear. This market, and it's it's shifting here in Lancaster over the last few weeks. It's shifting a little bit. You will not always, realtors, you will not always be in a market where things sell immediately. Why in the world did I spend, I think it was thirteen dollars or $1,500 on drone, photos, et cetera, for a luxury listing? Yeah. Well, because that $1.385 or whatever, $1,349 million listing was a $33,000 commission before splits and everything else. So if I want to be a professional realtor, and this bothers me so much because some of you still aren't paying for professional photos for 200 bucks. If I want to be a professional, I have to be connected. If I want to be the best, I have to be connected to the best. And that's why I'm so, that's why I wanted you to talk about this so much because for realtors out there, they're like, well, I just take pictures with my iPhone and it sells. And guess what? When you look in a year or two, whenever it shifts and homes aren't selling and people go to your old listings, oh, do I trust Jimmy to sell my house? Well, yeah. no, because there's a picture of Jimmy in a dirty bathroom with himself in the mirror taking an iPhone picture. We'll check out what John did with this luxury listing. Look at the drone photos. Yeah. Look at how beautiful the yard is. I paid, <laughs> I paid out of my pocket for a stager to come in and I paid $1,300 out of my pocket. For, why? Because this was not me setting up for this listing. This was me setting up to get other 5, 10, 15 luxury listings. Hey, you want to see what I did? Look at what this sold for and look at the pictures and look at what we did on the house. I paid for a stager. I paid for a cleaner. I paid. You know what I mean? Well, let's let, let's 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 talk about this to. OK, realtors, you've been in this thing since 2019, 2020. <laughs> OK, you guys. You're the ones that are seeing the stock market go up 50% and back down 50%. You have a very limited view. Zoom out. Realtors that are listening yeah. to this, that you've been around since 1977, okay? You are going to relate to this a lot more. There's always ups and downs. There's bears and bulls. There's buyers and sellers markets. I will absolutely agree with you that in a, uh, which is which, in a buyer's market, that's when, that's when there's uh, not enough buyers. Right. Yeah. So sell it backwards. Uh, uh, yeah. Seller's market like we have right now seller's means market. there's too many buyers, not enough houses. Okay. So in a seller's market, the buyer has to set themselves apart from other buyers. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Is that true? And yeah. so the buyer, sure. the, the buyer has to figure out how am I going to get this house over someone else? It's not just a matter of them having more money to pay. It could be their story. There's so many things that could be, it just be the whatever. So this is a market that does come and go. And you are in probably one of the best ones many realtors have seen. That, that realtor that's listening, you've been in since 1977. Is this the best one you've ever seen? Maybe. I mean, you might've seen this in the mid eighties or something, but that is not the norm. Look at the other swing of things where you have the, okay, now I'll get this right. The buyer's market now. And so there's not enough buyers. There's tons of houses, right? And not enough. So now it's not the buyer setting themselves apart. Now the seller has to set themselves apart. What we're talking about right now, in that side, you better be using this stuff. You better set yourself apart on that side. And on this side that we're in, I've been telling people this. Yeah, you can use your iPhone. You can do all these lame things and be unprofessional. And you can sneeze and sell a house because it's been ridiculous. Right. But when the market goes away from that extreme and it just becomes normal to the other extreme, the buyer's side, that's when you really need to start setting yourself apart. I believe you should set yourself apart all the time. Thousand percent. But if you had to choose, 
study your market. And if it's, do my buyer set themselves apart or does seller set themselves apart? And if you think it's going to stay like it is right now, five years, 10 years from now, I would say that you also believe in the tooth fairy. Yeah. Well, and, and what I love, Ken, is this relates so much to your story, my story, stories from entrepreneurs. Like you've done work for 15, 16, I, I had it in my notes, but 15 years, right? And yeah. and and so, you know, I, I forget who I was interviewing a couple of weeks ago and they said, well, I, I think it might've been Barry Karch in a TLF. And he said, well, I did this during this time. And so for the realtors out there, from this episode and our previous episode with Ken, I think a big takeaway is, okay, watch what Ken did and how he did it. Watch, okay, what is John, not that either of us are so great, but what are yeah. the successful people doing and when are they doing it? Because guess what? The stuff we're doing now in our spare time when we're not with our wife and kids is building the next thing. And so in two years, right? Think about how my podcast has grown or Carfagno, how yours has grown. Yep. Well, we did the stuff years ago to create the success. And so those realtors who are listening need to be prepared. They should be doing the things now that they will have to in two years. Oh, absolutely. Before they have to. And I think that to me is such a takeaway. Like, okay, what are you doing now that, hey, guess what? Maybe for my luxury listing, it could have just sold with iPhone pictures, but I have to do my best by the seller. I have if, to. if you're new and entering this market, you're going to create really bad habits right now. <laughs> That's, and yeah. Because what John's saying is two years from now when the market term is the other way. And all of a sudden it's like, wait, where did all the buyers go? We got all these houses and you're just still doing the same things, the same dumb things you're doing now. You're going to be competing against a gazillion other realtors and That's right. you're not going to sell anything. So you you got to set that you got to get your habits right now. That's what John's talking about. And I was just thinking as you were talking about, you know, the way that you and I have been done, done business, like the the concept or the 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 quote. It's like if you want to be set apart, you got to set yourself apart. It's like so simple. Wow. You want to be have the highest prices. You want to be in that twenty percent of realtors that are on the back of that. It's not even twenty percent. It's probably top three percent of realtors. And I can tell you, there's a guy, I'll give a shout out to him. He's a friend of mine named Brian McQueen. He's up in upstate New York, call a banker. I think he's still a call banker. And in his 20s, he was on the back of the page. And he was one of the top two or three realtors and a 500 realtor network in the capital district of upstate New York. And in talking to him, I started understanding what set him apart. Brian McQueen was back before all the social media stuff. He was making, like he had a coach and he was doing like, Friday morning was his call morning and he was just on the phone for four or five hours making calls every Friday, rain or shine. And I'd get a call from him like clockwork. Like, Hey, this is Brian. Want to check in and you just catch up with me. Hey, if you ever know anyone looking for, you know, whatever. And like, Hey, keep me in mind over and over and over again. He just kept building and building. He put the work in and he was in the back of that page and he was the go-to realtor and he had the highest closing rates and the highest commissions and he was doing very well. He drove the Beamer, but not because he was like, you know, doing paint, big payments on it. They probably paid cash for it. So I, I just think there's a high correlation between putting in the work and having the right perspective and mindset around the work you're doing. Yeah. And if you get all those things right, I mean, you could be on the back. I don't even know what the equivalent today is the back of the page. You know what I'm talking about, though. Yeah. No. You know, and I talk on all the time on the show how like 80 percent of realtors do not make it. Well, two years. And guess what? Those same numbers, you know, Google right now, as I'm looking at it, 
How many realtors make over 100K? How many? 21%. Ah, so like, so 20, so, so 80%, you know, 79% are not doing super hot. Like, and, and again, I don't know what the number is for you, right? Me and Ken have talked on two episodes that like our focus is not necessarily dollars. It's providing for our families, enjoying time with our beautiful wives and our kids. That's our focus. But, you know, we have to put in the work. Ken, I love all of this. Thank you. I feel like this was so great. And I, in both episodes that we recorded, I just am so thankful for you. I mean, I think I took 12 pages of notes, but I like, I think there's so much good stuff in there. Love you, bro. Appreciate you. And this is just great. I mean, all this is great. Cleaner, realtor, it all is the same. I love what you said. Get your habits right now before you have to. And if you mm-hmm. want to be set apart, you have to set yourself apart. That is just gold, man, because in so many ways, we have to put in the work or we have an integrity in our jobs and doing the best. Are we working and honoring the Lord and like how we're working? Are we taking care of our clients? Right. And so, you know, I know from watching what you do, yeah, you're an expensive cleaner, but I know that you really take care of your clients. Right. And it's, you take care of people and everything else is going to fall into place. Well, amen to that. I, I appreciate it. I would say this too, any realtor out there, if you are currently working with a cleaner and you're like, I would like my cleaner to know what that dude knows. Yeah. If you go to smartcleaningschool.com, there is a section on there for uh, real estate presentation cleaning. There's a video on there and I don't want to come across as like a, Hey, a self-promoting thing, but there is a course that cleaning company owners can take so they can understand this mindset. And they can they can connect with me. So if you want your cleaner to know this kind of stuff, or you want to find a cleaner that knows it, feel free to connect with me. Go to Smart Cleaning School and email me through there. I'd love to chat. If there's any way I can help you in your real estate business, I appreciate it, bro. And yeah, guys, definitely check out Carfagno Commercial Cleaning and what they're doing. C3xnow.com and check out Smart Cleaning School. Like I said, I love the podcast. Even though I'm not a cleaner, there's so much good business stuff there that I can apply to my real estate business. Ken, appreciate you, bro. Thanks for your time. Uh, Thanks for having me on a second time. I guess I did okay the first time that you let me back (laughs) on. So thanks so much. I really appreciate you, buddy. And uh, looking forward to so many more good things that come out of this podcast and all the people you're influencing. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Okay, take care. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode with my amazing friend, Ken Carfagno. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Man, we we certainly had a fun time for the two episodes that we did together. So as we close out, just got a few highlights that I want to focus on. I loved what he was saying at the beginning where he is talking about, you know, that ISO model and, you know, just how he built his business from the initializing phase where he just needed clients and would take any client all the way to creating success where suddenly, you know, he got to pick and choose a little more where, you know, once he had stabilized and he had that peace factor of the, you know, being at 120% of, you know, paying their bills and then it changed his business. And I think the same is applicable for realtors as well. Suddenly, when you are in the stabilized phase and you're doing well and, you know, paying your bills and having some margin, suddenly you go from, oh my gosh, I need any clients to suddenly you get to choose who you want to work with. And as your prices rise, right? you get to say, oh, well, if you don't want to jump to this higher price tier, I have plenty of people on this waiting list to do so. And so 
I just love how he has built his business and optimized it so that he had more peace about his business, he had more success, and he had more time with his family and was able to pick and choose the clients he wanted to work with, how often he wanted to work, and things like that. Another thing I really loved about what he talked about was as he shared with us about once he optimized, suddenly the desperation was gone. And I think that is so applicable in our real estate business. If we can optimize our business, make the kind of money we wanna make, then we don't have to be desperate. We don't have to work with anyone. I love as well how he talked about the 80-20 rule and the trust curve and how he became the cleaning specialist, right? Absolutely amazing what he did. And then suddenly, again, he didn't have to be the cheapest guy in the room. He actually was the most expensive and still is, you know, and he shifted away from cleaning houses to now businesses, but he became the specialist. And the lesson here for all of us as realtors is become the specialist, become the expert in your area, become the best And then you can, you know, do things like increase your prices like he's done in his business. Man, we'll we'll have to really dive into that at some point. But I love the story about dad. Can I buy an hour of your time? I'm sure if you heard that you got emotional just like I did as we think about, hey, what's it all worth if we build something but we have no time with our family. So I love really watching him. And, you know, he doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. He's built it. And his priority is, yes, building the business, paying the bills, but his priority has become his family and spending time with them, being involved in their lives as they grow up. And so I absolutely love that. Just closing out, I I love what he shared at the end. He talked about realtors, especially those of you new in the business, get your habits right now. Get them in good working order, be in a good spot now, even though you don't see the changes that are coming. And I love, you know, how he said, if you want to be set apart, you have to set yourself apart, right? So how are you setting yourself apart in your real estate business? Are you getting your habits in check? Are you becoming the best at what they do? Are you having complete honesty and integrity and character in your business? And are you showing this to your clients and doing a great job of it? So thank you so much, Ken Carfagno. Make sure you check out what he's doing. He's absolutely amazing. And just, you know, watching him and how he's built his business has really been a huge inspiration for me. So thanks so much, Ken. Appreciate you, bro. Thanks for being on the show. And thank you all for listening to another interview with Ken. I hope you really enjoyed it. Thank you guys for listening. And I'll see you guys on our next episode. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Survival Guide. If you enjoyed this episode, we would appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. It helps others discover the show. Thank you so much, and we will see you on the next episode.